to That's Your Field, the only podcast that resides in the Thatch Roof Cottage. I cannot express Bradley. my deepest apologies for our audience right now, but I've been living Bradley, through it Bradley, why too. is Trogdor on your mind right now? I mean, we, we got to do our intro first. I'm Brad. I'm a politics junkie. I'm Jared. I'm a sports guy, I guess. Alex, and I'm still kind of new here, but I don't even know. <laughs> um, yeah, Trogdor is on the mind. Um, you know, he, he burninates the countryside. He burninates the peasants, all the people, and the thatched roof cottages. And the situation is um, Seattle has a new NHL team. It's the Kraken, and it's the coolest thing I've seen in, like, years. It's, a, like, like, obviously, I love the Capitals. Uh, they, they, they crushed the Hurricanes last week, and that was amazing. I, I loved that. But uh, definitely, by far, number two team, Seattle Kraken. They, they just just so well rolled out. And um, their, their S logo, I, like, I found a sticker. I'll, I'll post a link to the sticker in the show notes. But it's just somebody noticed that you can draw from homestarrunner.com, Trogdor, the Burninator, well, you, you start with the S, and then you have a more different S, and that, that kind of looks like what uh, what the Seattle Kraken did with their logo. But logo aside, I love the team name. The logo is great. The mm-hmm. jerseys and color scheme looks phenomenal. Oh, yeah. A thousand times better than the Vegas Golden Knights. Oh, No for question. Sure. Yeah, I just like that they incorporated a space needle. I thought it looked cool. Kraken's got an awesome um, drink associated with it. And then, you know, there have only been two... I think, as far as I'm aware, professional sports teams in the, I'm going to say the world, but I don't know that, um, in the world that have, like, had some sort of new naming things in the past 30 days. One was the Seattle Kraken. Awesome. The other, the Washington football team. We don't need to talk about it. Just to contrast the awesomeness versus the not as awesome at all-ness. So, one thing I do want to say is I am wholly supportive of keeping it as the Washington football team forever. But and that's all you need to know for why they suck. Yeah, that's why you. That's all you need to know. It's really not right. great. <laughs> they're they're terrible, and also their name was so bad that we just decided to take it away and not give them a new one. They're just Washington, the Washington now. football team. All right, but um, <laughs> so thank you for bringing that up. We should talk about that, but we're gonna do it a different time. Also, props for. Um... Better. You know, the crack and coming up with a name that doesn't end with S. Right? It never That's happens. True. I don't know how many teams in the NHL are like that. Like, the one that comes to mind is the Minnesota Wild. I'm sure there's more, but, not you know, even, it's just not something you see a ton of. Not even NHL, but sports teams in general. Like, especially yeah. at least in this country. Like, I think the last new team that came about that didn't end in S was probably the Oklahoma City Thunder. Like, that's unreal. Yeah. Yeah, extraordinarily good branding. Uh, I'm, I'm here for it. And honestly, a well-deserved location for a new sports franchise. Yeah. Seattle's been through hell with yeah. We got to get them. In you know, team. losing the Supersonics, and you know, hopefully they're able to get another team back there if the NBA does an expansion or a team relocates because they deserve it. And now, obviously, they they have that arena that the Kraken will be in, and you know, you can put an NBA team in there too. You see those. You know, NBA and NHL teams sharing arenas all the time. But I digress, Bradley. What are we talking about today? Obviously that, well, but... <laughs> we're, we're definitely talking about this exact topic because you, you were kind of going into the substance of the question, actually. Because I understand that sports leagues expand from time to time and, like, add new teams on. So, like, 
The Golden Knights are brand new. The the Kraken's brand new. I don't understand the logistics of it because the situation for me is it makes sense you have, you know, there's more people in the country. There's more interest in watching their sports. So you can say like, well, this is a decent sized metro area that can support a team. But suddenly I assume there's all sorts of logistical issues that start popping up. So you've got to figure out how the playoffs are going to work now that there's more teams in the league. You've got to figure out how, you know, there's more teams in the league, so now there theoretically have to be more players in the league. And, like, I don't know, I'm just interested in how last year Seattle didn't have a hockey team. This year Seattle is going to have a hockey team. And, like, how does that impact the rest of the league? How does that impact, you know how many players there can be and like, you know, do other teams have to start like considering, well, are our players going to go like leave to join the Kraken? Do we have to pay people more? Like, well, what are the dynamics of that? Okay. So to start, I would say the first thing to remember is sports leagues are incredibly exclusive, right? And that's part of what makes owning a team so, prestigious and expensive so there is a expansion fee right so the owners pay a fee i should have looked it up i don't know what that is offhand but they pay a fee to enter the league right and you know all the teams have to approve it the other thing to remember is sports is a business right why do we want more teams more money more revenue right sure we can bring in a whole new fan base there's excitement around it i mean Vegas was a great idea because you're going to have people from all over the country who flock to Vegas already, a lot of it for sports gambling. Um, mm-hmm. Those people are sports fans. They're going to want to go see the brand new team, right? So, um, you know, Seattle, we already talked about, great fan base. Um, you know, they have probably the biggest soccer team in the U.S. So no question they're going to support a hockey team uh, in the same manner. But regardless, so... Money plays a huge factor, right? So as far as the why, that's really why. Yeah, there's going to be some things that happen with, okay, based on how much money's coming in and, you know, the agreement we have with players, you get this percent, we, you know, owners get that percent, that adjusts the salary cap, which is in a crazy state because of COVID, but that, you know, that's another episode. Mm -hmm. Um I think the main logistics I want to touch on that you talked about, because really I don't think playoffs is really going to change much. Um, I don't think, um, you know, really the only thing is kind of realigning divisions, but they're probably Mm -hmm. just going to add Seattle to the Pacific um, and maybe push someone into the central to even it out would be my guess. And also I just want to note that Seattle will not have a team next season. It will be after next season. I didn't know that. So, After the 2020 to 2021 NHL season concludes, there's the expansion draft. Okay. And it's something that Vegas did uh, when they entered the league a couple of seasons ago. And basically what happens is uh, each team is allowed to protect a certain amount of players. So you don't need to worry about protecting prospects, right? So guys that are young, up and coming, who have not played in the NHL yet. I don't remember exactly how it works, but you have to have a certain amount of time in the NHL, right? Mm-hmm. So there are certain guys you, who may play in the NHL next year, but they're not eligible for the expansion draft. 
um, or to be picked by Seattle in the expansion draft, so you don't have to worry about protecting them. You also have some players who have no movement clauses in their contract, which is different than a no-trade clause, right? A no-trade clause means you cannot trade me anywhere um, or a certain amount of teams or however it's drawn up. A no-movement clause means you can't get rid of me. You can't cut me. You can't expose me in the expansion draft, which is the big one. Okay. Okay. So there's two expansion protection lists, I guess, that you can follow. So you can either protect seven forwards, three defensemen, and a goalie, or you can protect eight skaters and a goalie. Uh, The difference Mm. being, let's say you have four defensemen that you really don't want to lose, and you don't mind exposing one of your forwards, maybe you go that route, right? Okay. So the only team that doesn't have to have a player picked is Vegas, because I don't really get it. Like, I understand they just were an expansion team. Maybe you don't want to force the guys who were just exposed to be re-exposed to the draft. But, I mean, they were in the Stanley Cup in their first season. Like, right. They've traded for some of the most established stars in the NHL, like Max Pacioretty and Mark Stone. They don't really need any more help, but they're getting it. Sure. <clears throat> and at some point, we are going to talk about the Golden Knights and how they... <laughs> like went to the Super uh, Super Bowl, so the Stanley <laughs> Cup, the first time that they uh, that, that that they existed. It was extraordinarily but, impressive. You know, a lot of it has to do with coaching. A lot of it has to do with just picking the right players and fitting them into their scheme and their system. The one other thing I'll add about the protection stuff is teams can work out deals with Seattle. So, for example, let's say the Washington Capitals, for example. Woo. Let's say they have eight forwards they really do not want to lose, right? Uh-huh. They could go to – well, you know what? I'm going to use Vegas as an example because they did this. Woo, Golden Knights! So, okay. so Vegas with Minnesota, right? Minnesota comes to mind. They said, okay, you know, we're going to take one of these defensemen. And Minnesota was like, please don't. And Vegas is like – uh, no, we're going to take who we want. And Minnesota goes, okay, tell you what, if you take one of our forwards, I think it was Eric Halla, maybe, I don't remember who it was, we will trade you a prospect, Alex Tuck, who's now, you know, a, a vital part of that team. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they accumulated multiple draft picks and prospects for doing so and just picked somebody else. And the advantage for Seattle there is, okay, yeah, we get to kind of pick a player from every team, but we don't really get to build up our farm system at all. Like, we, we have no prospects at this point. Right. So right, that's right. that's a way for them to kind of build that pool up and to build up their draft pick pool um, and things of that nature. Okay. So it's not just like – like, it is kind of a you can draft from the other teams, but, like – it's not just a straight ahead, I'm going to yoink all of your best players because they get to protect people and, you know, you can also just make deals that are that, that work for the new team and the old teams. Exactly. Okay. That makes sense. I just love that you totally, correctly, grammatically use the word yoink and I don't think that, <laughs> I think we should actually just give you a little bit of applause for that. So if you can put that sound effect in here, that'd be great, but if not, we'll keep going. You win uh, five internets today. Woo! Don't give him any internet. Okay, fine. Continue. <laughs> um, go to his head. Okay. So, like, that, that makes sense. Um, 
I guess then the the next question becomes well I, I, was was that all you were going to say on that for now yeah I mean what 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 else do you have if it's about expansion teams in general I have questions if it's related just to NHL and stuff then I'll I'll save them for another day I am curious about other leagues as well um, perfect but, you know th- this is the topical one good but, me and Brown uh, same wavelength right here here's the yeah. question. You were talk. You began the whole little segment about how Seattle is ripe for an awesome sports franchise because they're great and all these passionate fans and blah, blah blah. And we are all on the same page there. Great logo again. They used to have an awesome team, Seattle SuperSonics. Then some shit happened. Clay Bennett was like, "I'm taking you to Oklahoma City," and the rest is the past 15 years history. So what would need to happen for Seattle to actually get an NBA team back? And follow up to that because um, I'm sure you'll touch on this. Is there any chance it actually happens in the next five or ten years, or is it always just going to be like the stick that Commissioner Adam Silver can like hit other teams with to be like, if you don't improve your stadiums or do major infrastructure upgrades in this way, I'm going to relocate you to Seattle because they need a team badly. Like, is there any chance it happens, or is it always just the threat now? I think it'll happen eventually. I don't think it will be a relocation thing. I think it will be an expansion. I think the way it happens is similar to the NHL. So there's there's really two ways it can happen, right? The NHL basically had like three or four years where they're going to have an odd number of teams. And you just kind of deal with it. But the plan the whole time was over the course of five years or so, we are going to add two teams. We're just going to stagger it because it, it's easier financially and logistically and whatever. Whether the NBA says we're going to add two teams at a time because we can handle that or they go a similar route of we're going to add a team this year and then a few years down the line we're going to add another team in whatever location. Maybe they try another Canadian team again. You know, maybe they go to like a St. Louis or a Cincinnati or uh, something like that. But I think that's kind of what has to be done. I think Ideally, you want to stick with an even number of teams. It just makes everything easier. No conference has that advantage, so to speak, unless they were to eliminate conferences in general, which I know is no way another discussion. Happening. East would never um, let that happen. Yeah, I mean, it's just just a something they've talked about. Yeah, but I, I think what would ultimately have to happen is the NBA would say, okay, like, and I think we're heading in this direction. There's just so much talent. Yeah, there's in enough the great players. Right we could totally there's do it. so much talent, and there's so much coming in too. The next like three years, like the the past year or two of you know Zion aside, Zion Williamson. Who's that? Has been kind. Of, <laughs> Sorry, yeah, right. Sorry. Uh, do you know who that is, Bradley? <laughs> oh, I have heard mean. the name. Zion Williamson's like... What do you mean like, that's mean? I've heard the name a bunch. No, I, I have curious. no idea anything about him, though. ESPN is trying to hype him up as the next God-given talent. And you know what? He's he's So far, when he's he plays there. more than three <laughs> minutes a game, he's got that talent. He, he's he's ridiculous. Yeah. Anyway, other than him, the past Who does he couple... he play for for the record? The New Orleans Pelicans. New Orleans. So the past couple years of NBA like incoming talent has been like, all right. But the next three years of like, the high school talent that's coming up is just, it's ridiculous. But I don't want to get too far off topic. But again, I think it's with with the amount of talent coming in and it's a money-driven thing again, I think it, it makes sense to eventually expand to 32 teams. I I would hesitate to go over that amount, but I'm sure it will. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if in 50 years, you know, there's like 40 NFL teams or whatever. 
If the NFL's still around. But, like, yeah, 32 makes sense, at least for the NBA, just because there's eight per conference in the playoffs, so it makes sense to have, like, eight out of 16 in each side. Make it, you know, just... Right, at this point, like, you have more teams making the playoffs than not. And that's just ridiculous. That's something I've always liked about baseball. I know I've literally talked about all four sports leagues in the past minute. (laughs) But that's something I like about baseball. And I know they're expanding playoffs for this COVID stuff, but it's always been, like, a very elite thing. Like, Mm. six teams, seven teams in each conference make the playoffs out of 30. The thing that's interesting, though, is, like, it makes sense where you want the playoffs to be, like, only the best teams go. But, like you mentioned, it's all about revenue. It's all about money. So, like, if there's a city or, like, a region that has enough people in it and enough money in it that they could support a team, like, why wouldn't you expand there? I think it just goes back to the exclusivity of it. Right. Like there's a very high barrier for entry. Like you have to raise the funds. You have to find owners willing to do it. You have to have a stadium to play in or an arena to play in. Uh, That's expensive. The other owners have to approve it, which they likely would because it means more money for them in the long run. But, you know, it it comes back to just being tough to logistically. it's, It's just tough to do. I suppose. Like, I guess the thing that I'm thinking about and I think is kind of interesting is, like, it's not getting more expensive over time to build stadiums. Eh. They're pouring more and more money into it, though. That's fair. But, like, you're accounting for, like, inflation and whatever. Yeah, like, just given that there's more and more people over time and therefore, like, more and more money but it's not necessarily more and more expensive to have a team in pretty much any league. Like, you know, probably there are cities that don't have NHL or NBA teams right now that have way more money than, like, previous expansion teams had when they created their teams. Like, you know... I love that when Bradley says, you know, and then there's a long pause, like he wants us to fill in the words, but we have no idea what he's going to say. It's just, it's all, <laughs> every time, for our listeners, every time Bradley ever says, you know, just pay attention. There will be a pause. I just love Okay, it. so for the record, the expansion fee is $650 million. So the Yikes. new owners of Seattle had to pay that amount just to own the team. Just to put it in the league, and that money gets redistributed around the league. So some goes to the owners, some goes to the players. So it's beneficial all around, but that's only part of it, right? Like, they had to build an arena. They had to, you know, hire a whole staff. Like, all all told, you're talking about, like, a billion-dollar investment. And that's just for a hockey team. Like, if you're trying to expand to a basketball team... It's even more than that because, I mean, what did the Clippers sell for just a few years ago? Like over $2 billion? Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. And now you want to add a new team? It's tough. Sure. But I guess, like, let's say they do the market research and it turns out that, like, I don't know. What's what's a large city that doesn't have an NHL team right now? Like... Does Atlanta still have one or the Thrashers? Atlanta does not. Yeah. The Thrashers move to Winnipeg. Couldn't point that out. So Atlanta's had a couple teams. They had the Flames, too, before they went to Calgary. No one cares. It's weird. I don't know why. But, like, it's interesting. So, like, Atlanta certainly has a bunch of people who could support a hockey team there. 
you could theoretically start a new hockey team there and immediately or you know within a few years start taking in a lot more revenue for hockey in general in theory yeah i understand that you can't have just like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of teams in the league but like given that this is a large metro area it would probably bring in more revenue for the league why do they have the you know expansion fee being so high why not instead say, oh, well, anyone who can support a hockey team, that's just more revenue. That's free money. Because they, <laughs> they can. Yeah, honestly, I, because they can. Like, and it's it's something that they want to be exclusive. Like, you don't want, like, you know, the three of us, like, pooling all our money together and be like, we're going to make a team and a we're going to put it in, like, Waco, Texas. A teacher, a government employee, and a student. We can pull all of our money forever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> But, but, like, that's my point. Like, they don't just want, like, Joe Schmo or even, like, just a random millionaire. Like, you need to be, like, have substantial wealth. And I, th- I also think part of it is, like, if you can afford that fee and you commit to that, it, it shows that level of commitment to paying staff and paying players and paying rent and, you know, anything else that the league needs – and I also think they, they, yeah, they want more teams, but do you really want that many more? Because I think two things happen. I think one is it gets watered down. And two, we, we talked about the all the incoming talent, and, and there is. But if you all of a sudden have 40 teams, the, the talent's not going to be that great anymore. And the games might not mean as much, and you want to be able to promote it as the best of the bet. Yeah. 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 You know, the I think all in all, I, I know I keep using the word, but it's, it's an exclusive thing. And it, it's like a club to a degree. And I, I remember my one of my professors talking about that. Um, you know, I was a sport management major, for those that don't know. Um, and we, we talked about this concept and, you know, they kept using that word. And that's why I keep coming back to it. But it, it really is almost like, you know, a super secret club. Of I mean, there's 32 majority owners. That's it, or will be in the NHL. Like that's that's crazy low. I mean, I guess I understand the like cultural aspect of that. Of like, oh, it just I want to be one of the only 32 guys in the world who does this. But I like thank you for saying it the way that you did um, because. Like, I think I understand now that's also like the fact that it's so exclusive is what makes each individual game exciting enough to watch. Right. That's what makes like each of the individual teams have enough of literally the best hockey players in the world or the best basketball players in the world, which is what makes the sport worth watching. Right. And it's, you know, there's other levels of hockey, right? Like there are minor league teams maybe even in the city you're living in right now, why does that, like, it's still high-level hockey. Why aren't people watching it as much? Because it's not the best of the best. That That's what we want. If you just want people to buy Allen Americans tickets, like, you know, <laughs> you, you had the opportunity to continue selling those. Yeah, that uh, wasn't the right path for me. <laughs> um, but... Um... Yeah, no, I, I guess that makes a lot of sense. Because, like, I think that was the biggest question. Just, like, if every team makes a whole bunch of money, why aren't there a million teams? 
but that's because if there were a million teams, they wouldn't all make so much money. Right. There's still only so much to go around. I guess, final question, is the NFL ever going to expand to Europe? Maybe. Give me the percentage. You think it's over under 50? Ever? Like, give me a time frame. Six years. Within the next 50 years. Oh, 50. Okay, so... Football's going to look totally different. So many young kids aren't even playing football. Uh, okay, how about this? Do do the next 10 years, and then do the next 50 years. 10 years, I'll say no. Okay. Um, in the next 50... I mean, Alex just put it perfectly. Who knows what football's going to look like? I'm going to say yes. And I don't like it. Not that I have, like, anything against Europe, obviously. But... <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to our European listeners. We appreciate you. This is important. I've said this before. I'll say it again. I have something deep, angry against uh, the UK. So if London is the first place the NFL expands to, uh, I'm going to be very disappointed. It would be London. But it probably on. would be. It would be London. I think that's, <laughs> that's probably the most popular. Football is probably the most popular in England of anywhere in Europe, I would imagine, because that's where they do most of their Europe games. Sure. Um, the reason I don't like it really is I think you're going to have a hard time selling that to players. Mm. I do think it would open up a lot. I think you would see more people in Europe caring about football and then maybe growing up playing it. And then you get, I mean, there's really, really good athletes in Europe that would make phenomenal American football players. They're just doing other things like basketball or soccer or whatever. So, you know, maybe that opens up a a whole nother world and and you get way more talent from there, which would be really great. Um, But I just think you'd have a hard time selling to players like, you know, maybe there's one or two teams in Europe and you're still playing 15 other games in the States, but you have to go back to Europe to like presumably their headquarters would be in Europe right like you wouldn't be like oh well let's just practice for the week in the states and it's like well then what's the point you know which means you're constantly flying back and forth yeah you'd have a hard time attracting players to do that in my opinion although there could be there's something to be said Jared that you're right that you know if I'm one of the top five players in the in the National Football League, fo- Ooh, we'd have to rename that, but in the National Football League. Um, <laughs> the International Football League. Which I'm sure Goodell actually would love to do. You know, if I could sign anywhere and everyone would offer me the same amount of money, why would I go overseas where people won't really know who I am and my family's not there and my friends are all here? Like, I get that, but there's also something to be said that, like, players also, I think, really, in the back of their mind, if they could be, like, one of the legends of that franchise, like... I, I know it happens maybe a smidge more basketball, also just because I'm way more aware of it, but they want to go somewhere where they can be, like, that icon, that legend that's associated with the team forever. And I think if you could do it for an entire, not just city like London, but, like, country or nation or even continent, if they're the only one, like, that's kind of cool, but... Yeah, no question, but so I, I still, I on a day-to-day happen. basis, like, that would kind of suck. Like, literally totally every suck. week flying overseas like and again you brought up like the family aspect of unless i'm signing a long-term deal in europe i'm not moving my family across the ocean when i could get traded like you know in an instant right so 
I think there's too many logistical problems with it. I think you're much more likely to see teams end up in Canada and Mexico, which I think would be still a great way to start expanding globally and including other countries. And I know the NFL, I I don't want to get too deep into this, but they're already doing things like, you know, these like kind of pilot programs. Well, Well, they're doing that, but they're doing things like each year they're giving a different division a player from like Mexico or some or or Latin America in general I think I don't know how many of them have stuck I think they've only done it like this is the second year they're doing it and I literally only know about this because the Cowboys got one of them and I'm like <laughs> what the heck is going on with this and so I I looked into it a bit but you know the NFL's doing all sorts of things to try and expand globally but again that's another that's another episode okay well maybe we'll talk about that at some point in the future but uh for now let's uh let's take a quick break and uh we'll come back and talk about uh All right, welcome back. So, Bradley, stop talking. I have a question. I have seen which okay. for our listeners out there, the joy I get and the joy he receives from me being mean to him is so unhealthy. But we're just gonna roll with it. So, um, Bradley, I have seen lots and lots and lots of protests and unrest and people freaking out and just stuff happening in Hong Kong. Um, I think I know what's going on, but I know I actually don't know what's going on. And I think you probably do know what's going on. So please tell us what's going on. Okay. Um, I guess the place to start from this, because like, I am curious, what do you guys know about Hong Kong? Like, it, Jared, if I asked you what Hong Kong was, would you be like, like what, would, what would you say? A city in China. Okay. That's... But I know, like, I, I saw recently they pushed elections back a full year, which is very not democracy. Sure. Um, <laughs> and then uh, I just know there have been a lot of, like, protests. Is there something going on with, like, population control, too? <laughs> That's not necessarily Hong Kong. No, but... I thought I heard something about, like, basically, like, population control against, like, the Muslims Uyghurs. or something. So, that is not going on in Hong Kong. That's... that You're talking about the Uyghurs there. That's a whole different topic that uh, we should probably cover another time. Um, okay. But... So, that's not Hong Kong. But it is very interesting that I say Hong Kong and you just think a city in China. Yeah. Because, d- depending on who you ask, that either was definitely not true 30 years ago and still kind of isn't true or was not true 30 years ago but totally is true now. The the thing about Hong Kong is that up until the 1990s, Hong Kong was not actually a city in China. It was a city in the United Kingdom that happened to be attached to China. It's like its own international thing. So, like, way back in the 1800s, the British showed up in China and were like, hey, guys, we would like to trade with you. And the Chinese said, hi, we have everything we want. We don't need anything from you, and we don't like you. Go away. (laughs) Sure, that went well. 
So the British were like, well, how do we get them to trade with us? I know. And, you know, the UK had all sorts of really great ideas uh, back in the day. Uh, and this this was probably one of the uh, one of the biggest ones. They were like, I know. I bet they'll want to trade with us if we get everyone in the country addicted to opium. What? <laughs> Pretty good idea, honestly. It sounds like I'm joking, but I'm totally not. Well, yeah, you can't make that up. It started with British people selling opium at the border with China from India, which they mostly controlled at the time. And as more and more people started getting addicted to opium, because that's what happens when you sell people lots of opium, there was more and more demand for it in the country. And the Chinese were absolutely furious about this. They were like, you're like, stop getting everyone in our country addicted to opium. So at one point, the Chinese said, all right, we're not going to put up with this anymore. They seized a bunch of the opium in, like, the main trading city. It was called Canton in the south of China. Is that where Cantonese comes from? Random interjection? Okay. Yes. And they just started dumping the opium in the harbor. And that was exactly what the British were looking for. Because what the British said was, Hey, they're stealing our goods and throwing them in the ocean. That is a good enough reason for us to declare war on China. And they totally did. And because at this point in history, the British had the strongest navy in the world and the Chinese were not particularly good at building navies, the British totally demolished them, won the war, not easily, but like very conclusively. And in the peace treaty, they said, A, you have to let us trade with you anywhere in the country for any reason. You can't stop us. And you're going to give us this small set of islands off the coast as British territory that we can have a naval base in and we can garrison troops in, and that's going to be our land. That eventually became the British territory of Hong Kong. Okay. So Hong Kong, over the course of the next, like, 150 years, became one of the most important trading cities on the planet, because basically... If you wanted to buy, if you were in Europe or America even, and you wanted to buy something from China, the easiest way to do it was to go to the British in Hong Kong. They would be the intermediaries because there were a bunch of British businessmen there who spoke English or other European languages. And there were also a bunch of people who spoke Cantonese or Mandarin. You know, they were the perfect go-betweens between China, which had a huge number of, uh, you know, things like tea and silk, lots and lots of people who were willing to work in factories. That would become a factor later on. Um, But, like, if you wanted to buy some of these things that you could basically only get in China, you pretty much just went through Hong Kong. And Hong Kong became one of the global financial centers It became one of the richest cities on the entire planet. And, you know, basically as a result of the UK just showing up in China and conquering a piece of it. Very MO. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much what the British did. And in fairness, that's what almost every European did. But, you know, the British were... What time period was this again? This is like the early 1800s. Okay. So... So they were already sour about losing us. A little bit, (laughs) yes. Although, looking at how we are now, would you be that upset? No, no I would not <laughs> <Who> be. <knows? laughs> exactly. But, so, like, fast forward a couple hundred years. 
after World War II, the world is sort of going through a sort of reflective period where we say, hey, it's possible that going around the world, conquering everything and enslaving all of the native inhabitants to uh, make us richer was not actually like a good thing that we should have done. Surprise. <laughs> right. You know, who, who could have imagined Shocker. this? But um, decolonization was happening all over the world. So, you know, former colonies of European countries were becoming independent. And, uh, you know, the people who were living in those colonies were getting self-determination for the first time since, depending on where it was, uh, hundreds of years ago. So it's the 1990s, and uh, the people of Hong Kong are starting to realize, like, hold on a second. Like, why should we be part of a country that's an entire planet away? Most of the people in Hong Kong are ethnically Chinese. They speak either Mandarin or Cantonese. And, like, yeah, they have historical ties to the United Kingdom. But I, I don't believe that they were represented in Parliament. You know, they, they weren't really full members of British democracy. And there was a lot of, you know, momentum around the world for decolonization. So there was a movement in Hong Kong to basically say, hey, we would like to not be part of the UK anymore. We would like to be part of China. And this sort of worked out for a lot of people. Uh, so the government of China was like, oh, hey, yes, of course we would like a city full of people who, you know, would get along very well with the rest of our country uh, back into our country. Of course, we want one of the richest cities on the planet to be part of China. The British were basically saying like, oh, well, we would like to do more trading with China. Shocker. So China essentially said... Well, how about this? You know, we know Hong Kong has certain rights under the British government that the Chinese don't offer to their citizens. So as an example, China is not a democracy. You can't vote in mainland China. Uh, whereas Hong Kong, even though they weren't represented in the uh, British parliament, they did have their own government that they got to vote for. They had a free media, which there isn't in China. They had a robust, you know, civil society. People are allowed to join political movements and that sort of thing without, you know, government support. So the people of Hong Kong basically said, we want to be part of China, but we don't want to give up all of these great political rights that we have. And China said, we want the economic benefits of Hong Kong and, you know, the ability to sort of integrate Hong Kong into the rest of China. And the British said, well, we want to be friendlier with mainland China. So the compromise that everybody came to was the British would give Hong Kong back to China. China would open up economically to the rest of the world. And the Chinese would promise for 50 years not to change Hong Kong's political system. So they wouldn't impose the same communist government and like authoritarian government that the rest of China has on Hong Kong. They'd let them continue to have you know, civil rights, like freedom of the press and freedom of assembly. They'd let them continue to vote for the Hong Kong chief executive, which is basically the person in charge of Hong Kong, like the Hong Kong president. And that would stay in place for 50 years. And then afterwards, 
China would be able to uh, sort of make changes to the political system. But a lot of people figured like, oh, well, China's going to open up economically to the rest of the world and Hong Kong's going to provide a great example. And by the end of those 50 years, it's going to be great. And like China is just going to say, you know what? Like we're not going to mess with Hong Kong's political institutions. Instead, we're going to be a robust democracy and everything's going to be fantastic. Yay! It was a great, great plan. When was this again? On July 1st, 1997, the British officially transferred control of Hong Kong to the Chinese. Now, the problems didn't begin for another few years. But 2002, as an example, the Chinese said, basically, we have some laws that make it illegal to advocate against the Chinese government. Some laws that say, if you say my region should be independent from the rest of China, you get thrown in jail. If you say, I don't support the Chinese Communist Party, I get thrown in jail. And in 2002, China said, hey, Hong Kong, it would be real good if you passed this law, making it illegal to criticize the central government of China in Beijing. People in Hong Kong were very mad about this, and they took to the streets. Yeah. There were large protests. And the Chinese basically said, oh, man, this city, this single city by itself accounts for 25% of our economy. If we have long-term protests and they're super mad, that's going to be really bad for us. So they backed down. They basically said, no, like, no worries. Absolutely, we don't have to do this. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe we'll bring it up later. Since then, a, a, a thing that nobody really expected happened between 2002 and now, which is the economy of China took off like crazy. You know, over the last almost 20 years, China went from being like the 10th or 15th largest economy in the world to being the second largest economy in the world. And they're on pace to overtake the United States pretty soon. Uh, And all of a sudden, Hong Kong went from being more than 25% of China's economy to being less than 5% of China's economy. China last year basically said, well, hey, we can start sort of trying to bring Hong Kong in line with the rest of China pretty soon, right? So they tried to pass a law that would basically say, if you, a citizen of Hong Kong, and you broke the law in China, Hong Kong would extradite you to mainland China to be tried in a Chinese court instead of a Hong Kong court. These are the photos you've been seeing of giant, giant protests in Hong Kong. The people in Hong Kong went absolutely nuts. And rightfully so, because what that essentially means is any law that's on the books in China is also on the books in Hong Kong. You can be arrested for it and you can be sent to China over it. And so millions of people took to the streets to say, absolutely not, you're not going to pass this law. And it was sort of up in the air whether or not it was going to happen. And at first, the chief executive of Hong Kong, whose name is Carrie Lam, and um, like is very close with Beijing because they have to approve any candidates that are on the ballot in Hong Kong. She basically said, hey, we think this is a good law and a good idea, but we're going to postpone it for now. We're going to we're going to and we'll pick it up another time when people are less mad about this. However, at the same time, the Hong Kong police force 
and stop me if this sounds a little familiar, uh, saw all of these protests going on and figured the best way to deal with them would be to crack down extraordinarily harshly and beat protesters all over the country and uh, oftentimes jail them without real charges. Stop! Stop! Why would that, Stop. What would that remind, Stop. What would that remind Stop. us of? Stop! This about? sounds familiar. <laughs> we love you for all of our Portland listeners. Sorry. Yeah, it was it was really horrifying. You know, multiple people died, like, in the middle of what, until the police showed up, were fairly peaceful protests. And over time, the protest movement kind of, I guess, radicalized and professionalized would be, like, a pretty reasonable way to describe it. Uh, they started showing up with umbrellas to make sure that it was more difficult for tear gas to get into large crowds. Uh, they had people who, like, were purposefully waiting with, like, water bottles to put out flares and tear gas canisters, like, when they were fired at people, so that the protests could not be dispersed. Uh, we even had, like, moments where, like, apparently somebody had, a like, brought a bow and arrow to a protest and like when the uh hong kong police like hawkeye style? yeah like when the hong kong police started shooting rubber bullets at people uh they started firing back with bows and arrows and at least one hong kong police officer got an arrow in his leg which is just so close he to the, the skyrim arrow to the knee. to an arrow to the knee oh that would so have been close i will just say that's kind of dumb because that gives police like every excuse to use like real weapons at that point if they feel like they're being threatened which a bow and arrow is like deadly so probably not the best form of protest but i understand it if you're just being attacked at the same time right like i guess this this was the problem the hong kong protesters were being really brutally cracked down on and they they, they were 100 percent correct in thinking if they didn't make this new law so unpalatable that the government just said, all right, we're not going to do it, it would literally mean the difference between having political rights and not having political rights. And people kind of want those. The Chinese didn't back down. The people of Hong Kong really didn't back down. And these protests Love totally it. racked the city for months and months and months and months. Coronavirus kind of came at a really weird time for Hong Kong. And, you know, the protests mostly stopped as people started being concerned about getting the virus and spreading it to everyone they knew. Uh, and China took that opportunity to do something that uh, nobody expected, which was to bring up the law that they tried to pass in 2002. And not only try and pass it, but they didn't even try and have the Hong Kong legislature vote on it. They passed it in Beijing and just said, hey, congratulations, it's now illegal to do stuff the Chinese government doesn't like in Hong Kong. That is a violation of the treaty that they signed with the UK when the UK handed over Hong Kong in 1997. There's no way the UK wants to get involved in this. Well, so this is the problem. The UK basically said like, hey, you can't take away the rights of the Hong Kong people. Uh, that wasn't the deal that we made. But also, please don't stop buying goods from the UK 
because we've shot ourselves in the foot with Brexit and we desperately need more trading partners. <laughs> Please don't leave us. So the British couldn't be as forceful about it as they would have wanted to. And, uh, you know, just because of coronavirus, it's a really weird time. And, like, there aren't a lot of people who were willing to say to China, like, you agreed that you wouldn't do exactly the thing you're doing right now. Now, the United States has a couple of treaties that we signed onto when Hong Kong became part of China. One of the things we did was we gave them essentially not quite a free trade agreement, but, like, we lowered the tariffs significantly uh, that we had with Hong Kong specifically. So what you could theoretically do is someone in Hong Kong could buy goods from China pretty much for free. Not, not for free, but like without tariffs. And then mm -hmm. you could sell goods to the United States from Hong Kong pretty much without tariffs. Well, the U.S. officially said... Uh, a few weeks ago, now that you've implemented this law, that doesn't apply anymore. So we're not going to let you do that. And this has been really, really bad for U.S.-China relations. So, like, I don't know if you guys heard that uh, China had to close its consulate in Houston last week. Yeah. In theory, that was because the U.S. government said, hey, you are doing bad things in China and in Xinjiang, which is the Uyghur thing that we'll talk about a different time. You have to close your consulate in Houston. And in response, the Chinese said, OK, well, you have to close your consulate in Chengdu. And all of this is heating up a lot. And there's a question about like, well, we've had this really tenuous trade deal with China going for a while. Is that going to fall apart? Nobody really knows. But the situation is... Hong Kong was a robust democracy. It was a place that people had political rights. And China is trying to basically strip them of those rights. And it's frustrating because there's not a lot the rest of the world can do. Uh, technically, it's a Chinese city. It's, it's, a, it's a really terrifying time to be in Hong Kong because... You know, all of the rights and privileges that they've had for decades and all of the human rights that everyone on the planet deserves are basically being stripped from them by the Chinese government. So the question I just wanted to ask the entire time is where do we go from now, though? So it seems pretty clear that all of the optimism that people had about like, oh, China, like, don't worry. They're going to open up to the rest of the world. They're going to be a great economy. And then they're going to become a democracy. And everything's going to be happy and wonderful all the time. Yay! Kind of doesn't look like that's happening. Bill Clinton always used to talk about, like, the best way to help China become a democracy is to open up with them and to trade with them. That's not working. And so the question becomes, are we going to either be fine with China being this rising power that has more and more influence around the world every day, being an authoritarian system that deprives people of the rights that everyone deserves, or are we going to somehow say, like, no, we're going to cut China off from the global economy, we're going to get the United States and China, like, like, not to be so reliant on China for, like, goods not to sell them so much of our debt? Like, are we basically going to go back to sort of the Cold War era with China this time instead of the Soviet Union, where there's basically two global economies and they don't interact very much? Are we physically capable of doing that? 
And if we are, like, who's going to come out on top there? There's all sorts of questions that nobody really knows the answer to. And, like, Hong Kong is the perfect example of, like, we thought that this would be the first step in a lot of, you know, integration efforts, getting China to stop being, um, you know, a, a fairly uh, underdeveloped place and uh, join the rest of the world in human rights and democracy and all that good stuff. And in Hong Kong, we've seen it hasn't worked that way, but it's unclear whether there's any other way it can work. Do you foresee, like, a bunch of people trying to get out before something can happen? Like, almost like a mass exodus? I mean, I know that's hard to just pick up and leave, but, you know, if you feel like your rights are being threatened, you see a lot of them just moving towards the Western world at that point? So there's been a lot of discussion of this. So the UK, uh, one of the few things that they were able to do was basically say, hey, we are opening up the country. If you live, if you are a current citizen of Hong Kong and you want to come live in the United Kingdom now that your rights are being stripped away, we will let you do that. Like basically we'll put you at the front of the immigration line. Uh, there's also uh, Taiwan is right off the coast of China. And of course, China insists that Taiwan is still part of China, but it's it's controlled by a completely different government, um, uh, you know, and like a fairly great uh, democratic government, too. So they have also sort of opened up and are saying like, oh, if you're in Hong Kong and you want to move here and bring your business here, we'll let you do that. So there are some places that are doing that. Personally, I think the United States should do the same. Like, if you're in Hong Kong, you know, the, the, there's a lot of, you know, fairly wealthy people who share the same values that we do. And like, you know, th this, this is, in my opinion, what the United States is for. If you believe in freedom and democracy, uh, come on in. Now, the president of the United States has been asked about this, and he's not said that we're going to do stuff like that. But, um, you know, anything is possible. I, I hope that in the long run, the people of Hong Kong can get out or maintain their rights where they currently live. But the fact of the matter is this is a really sort of sad thing for freedom around the world. So, you know, next time you see uh, somebody show up at an NBA game, and, uh, you know, they're holding a sign that says, like, free Xinjiang, free Hong Kong. And uh, none of the players are willing to talk about it. Uh, now now you have a, a little bit more context as to why that's happening. Yeah. I mean, I don't think a lot of players really know what's going on, but they get the basic ideas. And I think also they've been told if you speak out on it, you know, we're just going to lose a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, China is a huge market. And th this is part of the problem. Like... Everyone could sort of reasonably imagine that Hong Kong would be left alone by the Chinese government when Hong Kong first joined China, because, you know, China was a tiny market that barely had any interaction with the outside world. But, you know... Times a change. All these years later, and uh, it's a very different situation. I've got no follow-ups, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, me neither. That's... <laughs> Well, uh, cool. Uh, does, does anybody have a, a BS topic? Did you want me to follow up on the Rondo I would stuff? love to hear your thoughts because f*** Rondo. Oh, yes. I'm glad he's not playing. Yeah. Yes. For, for anyone who hasn't listened to our, uh, our previous 
uh, how did it go so wrong episode. This this is just going to be a follow-up on that so, conversation. Yeah. I mean, Alex, you just want to really quickly sum up what that we was had about. a grip we dallas mavericks we had an amazing offense probably top five in the league my gut says top one just because of the way we were playing but honestly i don't have the stats in front of me and i don't want to lie top to you one yeah you heard me you have something to say no nope. top one Great. In i'll the continue league. so we are continuing have we we're just having i don't really care we were going it was awesome we were winning some games losing very few made the trade for rajon rondo i just want you to lock down the opposing team's point guard so we can continue doing awesome stuff and just pass around and then Dumbass thought he was smarter than Rick Carlisle and wanted to do his own thing. That's not how this team works. And the team pretty much imploded. They didn't like him. They didn't want him to play. He quit on us. We didn't want to pay him on the stuff. Even Dirk didn't like him. And Dirk is a lovable, you know, just 10-foot-tall German dude. So everything kind of sucked. Um, and that team, and that year went down the drain. Uh, Jared, you want to color in the lines there? What are you doing? Sure. Sorry. He's making weird ribbon stuff. Like, also, I, I, I'm unclear on what he did that made everyone not like him, so maybe you can shed some light on that. Sure. Too. So I'll start with this. I think my three least favorite players in NBA history are Dwayne Wade, Rajon Rondo, and Lamar Odom. <laughs> oh, yeah. Lamar Odom had, like, similar stuff to Rondo, but... He's also had he some also head had stuff, like, though. Some, like, he, yeah, he's had some mental issues, yeah, he, so I can't put it all on him. Totally. All right. Basically, the what's funny is... The Mavs really didn't even give up anything of significance, like, looking back on it. Brandon Wright, kind of. Eh. Great rim run. But, fine. Go. I mean, Jay Crowder was probably the biggest piece. But mm. regardless, the Mavs made this trade thinking, I don't know, Carlisle was not a fan. I had to top myself into the trade because I was like, Rondo was coming off an injury too, people forget, and he was not the elite defender that he had been. I think it was like an Achilles injury maybe. It was a lower body injury and it hindered his quickness. But anyway, why do we hate him so much? In a playoff game, he basically quit. He took a five-second inbound violation. When was the last time you've seen anybody take a five-second inbound Purposefully. violation? What is, what is that? So basically, if you don't pass the ball in from out of bounds in five seconds, it's a turnover. Yikes. Five seconds is a long time, and it's not like they, they weren't pressuring him. It was, it was a side out of bounds play. They drew it up. People were open, and he just held the ball. And they immediately took him out of the game, and that was the last time you saw him as a Maverick. Um, now he's just ring-chasing with the Lakers, I think. They he took did him out of the game purpose. after he did a really stupid thing. On purpose. And he quit? Yeah, it was kind of a mutual, like, I don't want to play for you, and we're like, good, we you've been like... ass since you've gotten here, like, we don't want you. Wow. He was a terrible fit for the Mavs' style of offense. He want like... The Mavs are all about ball movement, you know, quick play, and Rondo was all about how can I get my 10 assists today? Yeah, he was going to, like, hold the ball at the top of the key for the entire time until he saw someone open, and then he would, like, pass them, usually with, like, five seconds left on the shot clock, so they would have to shoot it. So if they made it, he'd get an assist. Like, he just didn't want to play our way. And he looks like Franklin the Turtle. And that's I insulting to Franklin. <laughs> I looked up his photo. He does kind of look like Franklin the Turtle. Like, that's not just something Jared's saying because of his bias against this person. I think he was pissed off that Carlisle beat him in Connect 4. Maybe, because he's a huge Connect 4 buff. Like, <laughs> he really is. And also, I'm I think sorry. he's pissed Hold Dane on. Age Hold on, no. There's, you, can, you cannot 
honestly tell me that there's such thing as a Connect 4 buff. Yeah, no, there is. Oh, he's yeah, he's huge, huge on Connect, Connect 4. 4. Like, really? What does that mean? It's exactly what you think it means. He's just a massive Connect 4. For, he loves playing Connect 4. Rondo's good at two things, basketball <laughs> and Connect 4. He's good at passing in Connect 4. Well, he used to be really good at a really lot good. of things except shooting. Yeah, he did used to be Can't shoot to save his life. True. Well, so. that's... the. <sighs> Part of that is he's got ridiculously long arms and huge hands, so like it makes it very difficult to shoot at his size, but whatever. But it probably makes it much easier to play Connect 4. <laughs> I don't know how, but sure. Um, I guess you can sit further away, you have a different advantage. Point. I could beat him in Connect 4, that doesn't mean anything. Ooh. Yeah, Rajon, if you... Rajon. Yeah, Rajon, you're not playing in the in the NBA right now. You might not even play in the playoffs, depending on your injury and shit. If you're that bored, play me. I will beat your ass. I know it, because I'm good. All right, we're good now. Can we tag him in this? I don't know, uh, but sure. You know what? Um, if, uh, if, if you're listening to this, uh, go ahead and tweet at Rajon Rondo uh, saying, hey, we'll beat you in Connect 4. My Twitter is not private. You can easily find me. And if any of you out there want to try to play me, let me know. I'll beat you, too. We can bet whatever you want. I would love to make some money. Also, uh, while we're talking about social media, I guess, we have a Facebook page now. So you, you can find Facebook us page? on Facebook at uh, that. That's Your Field. Are you dumb? <laughs> I don't know. People under the age of 45 used Facebook. I literally Ooh. messaged you about this. Like, yeah, I know. I just like to I'm pretty sure you responded to it. Yeah, I know. I just think Facebook's weird. I got no respect around here. I, I'll also make a Twitter for us. If you want to make an Instagram and we can link it, that's fine too. Mm, I just I don't day. understand. <laughs> I don't understand Instagram, which is uh, it is way more relevant for your. Let's age. make a Pinterest. No, Pinterest is something completely different. We're not doing a Pinterest. MySpace. Uh, sure. Only if we got the one. Per- Actually, yeah, we got all eight of our listeners in our top that's- eight. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, unless you wanted to make fun of Rondo more, uh, I, I think that's going to be it for That's Your Field. I mean, I do, but I'll let... I'll, we can do that privately. <laughs> we'll, oh, I mean, we'll, we'll continue making fun of him off the air, but... Like, uh, I don't know what our listeners like to do at 3 a.m., but I know what me and Jared like to do at 3 a.m. Just text each other... <laughs> Rondo back and forth over and over. Please bleep that out, but <laughs> back I, and forth. I'll so bleep it all out, don't worry. You're uh, a saint... Anyway, uh, thank you for tuning in to That's Your Field, uh, the only podcast on the internet that burninates the countryside. And, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, see you next week. Maybe the following week. I don't know. It, it was like a, it was like a month since our last full episode, so, uh, we'll make no promises. We have to make them miss us. That's true. Uh, we're playing hard to get. Uh, <laughs> thanks for tuning in, and, uh, see you guys around. Batman!